Got your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's good to be with you. Starting in verse 11, hear God's word. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in the right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ, it controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to, to be sin who, who knew no sin, so in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is that favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Well, the American missionary Max Stiles, he tells the humorous story about the time he went to the Tunisian islands with his Arab friend, Hatem. Uh, Mac was looking upon, there was a sandbar out, and him and his friend kind of were competitive, so as they looked out on the sandbar, Mac turned to his friend Hatem and said, hey, I'll race you out to that sandbar. Hatem replied, he said, I, I, I need a cigarette break, I can't do that right now. Uh, so Mac turned to him and said, you go get your nicotine fix I'm going to the sandbar, meet me out there later. So here Mac was, he was kind of swimming leisurely to the sandbar and, and thinking Hayden went back, but all of a sudden he saw somebody underneath him trying to make his way to the sandbar. He thought, man, Hayden, that rascal, he's trying to beat me to the sandbar. So then Mac began to swim even harder because underneath him was this man who was taking these large strokes. And right when this man underneath him was about to bound up and take a breath, he saw his opportunity to, to beat him to the sandbar. So he grabbed his friend, got him in a headlock, dunked him in the water. As they're splashing up, he's laughing as hard as he can. The other person's got all this water in his mouth trying to spit it out. And just for good measure, he dunked him once again. All this was... With the man he thought was his friend, was his, all he could see was his back until the man turned and he realized it wasn't Hatem altogether. It was this tenacious person who was simply just trying to swim and make it to the sandbar. As you can imagine, looking at this American trying to drown him, he was quite afraid. That wasn't the world. 
I'm going to drown going to the sandbar. And his eyes begin to lit up. And you can see Mac trying to apologize and saying, man, I made a mistake, but this man didn't speak any English. So the more Mac began to babble, the more this man became afraid. The man kind of made his way back, kind of backstepping with his eyes wide open, thinking, what in the world just happened to me? And as he's trying to make his way back to the shore, Mac is following him, trying to explain, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but this man doesn't, doesn't understand anything of what he's saying. And all of a sudden, back on the shore, he saw this man, this Tanation man's family, which was quite large at the time because they were out having a picnic on the beach. They were all standing, quite large men, on the shore. They all saw what took place, and therefore, Mac's life was in jeopardy. He needed in that moment somebody to come and stand between him and this other side who was incredibly angry with him. Who was this American man trying to kill their friend? Who, who was this American man literally got this man in a headlock, dunked him a couple times, and, and all the while they didn't in, understand anything of what this man was saying? Mac needed somebody to stand between these two fighting sides. He needed an ambassador. Well, thankfully, Hatem showed up with a cigarette in his mouth at this time, thinking this was the most hysterical story ever. And he begins to explain to the Tanation people in their language exactly what happened. And, and thankfully, he, he thinks it's so funny, literally tears are streaming down his face as he's laughing, trying to explain the story, which thankfully, again, allowed this family to understand what took place, and they began to laugh as well. And that moment, because the ambassador Hatem showed up between these two sides, thankfully they begin to forgive him and we begin to see reconciliation take place, even friendship, as they invite Mac now to have a kind of picnic lunch with the rest of the family. The ambassador Hatem, he saved Mac's life. In fact, at the lunch, all these grown men were kind of slapping it on the back saying, oh, it's so good that Hatem showed up when he did because your life was in jeopardy. He was saved. But, but this is what ambassadors do. They stand between two wearing sides and, and they begin to explain things, explain good news so that reconciliation and friendship can be the result. But as we hear that story, we, we see similar themes in our message this morning. What we see a need for ambassadors, not just on the beach, but we see a need for ambassadors in this world. Ambassadors that can proclaim good news, can stand in the middle of this world and God and begin to explain the good news that, yes, God is trying to reconcile the world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We need ambassadors. But here's the thing is that ambassadors is not as easy job as, as Hatem's job seemed to be as he showed up on the beach. And sometimes when this ambassador gets between these wearing sides, the result is that ambassador is going to take on shrapnel. It's a dangerous job. In fact, that's exactly what we're seeing in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're seeing the Corinthian church, these, this group of false teachers, kind of infiltrate and begin to accuse Paul that he wasn't a true apostle. He didn't make the mark. And they're beginning to do all these kind of arguments against Paul, saying, hey, church, you shouldn't listen to Paul. And yet here is Paul's argument saying why he was a true apostle. Why they should listen to his gospel message. In fact, we've already seen many of the arguments that Paul's kind of laid out. But this morning in chapter 5, we, we kind of see this argument come to its fruition. The strongest part of his argument here in our passage. 
In so many words, what he's saying is saying, I am an ambassador of Christ. He needs this Corinthian church to understand that. He needs them to accept that. He needs them to hear the message and then to respond appropriately. In fact, we see the first words in chapter 11 is the words, therefore, which allows us to see that this argument is continuing from last week's message as Jesus is, or rather Paul is kind of telling it, hey, we have these resurrected bodies, specifically in verse 10. If you remember what it said in verse 10, he turned to the church and said, because... Because we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Because this is taking place, verse 11, therefore we know God's fear. And therefore we make it our goal to persuade others. That's the goal and the mission of an ambassador. To persuade others. To to try to convince them of the veracity of the truth of Scripture. To teach them the veracity and the truth of the gospel message that that this great big God would come down and send his son to reconcile the world to himself. This is the mission of the ambassador as we begin to see it in our passage. As Paul says, hey, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. However, even with this role as an ambassador is placed into question, notice the clarity that Paul has on his role Even though the Corinthian church is questioning his role as an ambassador, knows what he says in verse 11 as well. He says, my role is known to God. And then he says, I wish it was known to the Corinthian conscience as well. That they too would be persuaded of his role as an ambassador. In fact, look at what he says in verse 12. He says, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm having to debate my own apostleship and my own ability to proclaim this good message. It shouldn't have been that way. He's saying, hey, the Corinthian church should have came and defended me. The the Corinthian church should have convinced these false teachers that, yes, I am a true apostle, but because that's not happening, I'm having to defend myself. I'm having to come and and make these arguments so this church will believe me. And he says it shouldn't have been that way, but because they're not defending me, I'm having to defend myself. And he says, I get it. It looks strange. And me defending myself, would you ever put your position to defend yourself? It's 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 really just a lose-lose situation. You wish that other people would kind of come and stand in the gap for you. But for fall, that's not happening. So, so, so this, there's a lose-lose situation taking place in the text. He's saying, hey, here I am. I'm, I'm having to defend myself, but I'm not doing it for my own gain. In fact, I'm just giving you reasons, Corinthian church, to come and do the argument for me. So when these false teachers come in, you have an argument to say that, yes, I am a true apostle. But again, he's put in this lose-lose situation. He says, I get it. It looks crazy. Here I am defending myself. And And if he boasts too much about his compliments, they'll just say he's prideful. If he comes across too strong in his argument against them, they'll just say that he's too defensive. Again, it's a lose-lose situation. So he says, I get it, it looks crazy. But notice what he says, "I'm I'm okay with the crazy. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, I I get it, it looks crazy, but, verse 13, for if he is beside ourselves... It is for God. 
or if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. In other words, Paul says, I am defending myself, and it looks crazy. I'm doing it for the gospel's sake. Therefore, for the glory of God, I'm trying to defend my ministry so that you believe in the gospel message. So he says, if I'm doing this for, for the gospel's sake, it's for the glory of God. But yet, am I, if I'm persuasive enough to convince you that I am a true apostle, then I've done it for your benefit, Corinthian church. Because if you believe in my apostleship, you believe in my message, and then come to saving faith. So he says, I get it, it looks crazy, but I'm doing it for you. So yes, we've seen the ambassador job is, is not as always as easy as we would like to think. Sometimes, becoming the bridge between two different groups of people, you get stepped on. So Paul is saying, hey, it's not hard, but notice what he says next. Even though it's a difficulty, he, now he gives us the motive. What, what makes an ambassador for Christ so strong is their motive. And look at what he says. It says it's for the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels us in our mission. Look at what it says in verse 14 to 15. For the love of Christ, it controls us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. That, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul has already given us kind of a hints to his motive. Verse 11, he says, but it's for the fear of God that moves us to persuade. Then verse 13, he repeats himself. Yes, I'm crazy for God's sake, for, for his glory. And then he repeats himself just to make sure we didn't miss it in verse 14 here. He says, but the love of Christ and it, can, it controls me. And in this is, is not just what compels an ambassador, but this was his life, his life motto. This is the, the love of Christ, it, it controls me. After all, it's Christ who is the one who came to save Paul, to, to redeem Paul, to, to rescue Paul, to use so Paul says, in light of that reality of this great big God who, who came to save me and redeem me, then what is the natural response? The natural response is to offer all of who I am to this great big God. He says, the love of Christ, it controls me. Just listen to the words in verse 13 again. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but begin to live for the one who died and raised on their behalf. Does Christ's love, does it control you? And is this what, what moves you? I mean, can you say this is your life motto? You see, sometimes I think it's important for us to stop and reflect and, and to remind ourselves all of what Christ has done for us. And you just sing those songs and you see this Christ who has stood in our place. We, we sing those songs of God who came to rescue us, to redeem us. And again, the only natural response is to say, yes, I offer all of who I am to this great big God. He's the one who adopted us. And he called us his own. He gave us an inheritance that's beyond our wildest dreams. He gave us eternity 
So is it any wonder that the, 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 the hymn writer Isaac Watts would say that love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all? That's what Paul is hinting at. That this should be our response to offer all of who we are to this great big God. In fact, Paul understood what, all of what Christ did on his behalf. He understood where he would be without Christ. But, but the grace of God on that Damascus road took this man who was heading out to murder people, transformed him, changed him, and changed his eternity. Paul says the only rightful response is to give all of who I am back to this great big God. But what does it look for us to offer our bodies as this living sacrifice unto the glory of God? Does it, does it mean that we all should just kind of go into full-time ministry and quit our jobs? No. But what it does mean is I no longer live for myself, but I live for the glory of the one above. So, so maybe for you that... That, that you, is maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're, you're kind of watching your kids, maybe for you that you change your daily agenda to make it a worship agenda, that you begin to pray and say, okay, God, what is your agenda for my day? So whether I go to the grocery store, whether I'm homeschooling, whether I'm serving my spouse, I'm doing it so that the love of Christ could shine through me. Maybe it simply means that in my interactions with other people, I have a smile on my face to let them know that they're valued and important. Maybe it's ways that I can look to serve those around me so that Christ can receive all the glory. Same thing applies for us in the workplace, whether we're at base or in the marketplace. For us, I mean, how often is Christ on our mind? I think too often, too many of us go throughout our days without thinking about Christ at all. But imagine. Imagine if we walk throughout our day with, with little tiny prayers upon our mind. God, help me steward the talents that you have given me in training so that others can look at you again, glorify you. God, help me serve those around me so again that that they can see how much you value them, how much you think they're important, that the Imago Dei would shine through. See, this is what it looks like for us to, to say, you know what, God, use me so that your light can shine through me so the world can see you. Does Christ love? Does it control you? Do you wake up thinking about all that Christ has done and saying, today, God, you got all of me. Because you died on my behalf. And the only reason I have an eternity of hope is because of your good grace. Does Christ's love, does it control you? See, ambassador, what he's saying is, yes, it's harder than what we think. And yes, an ambassador is controlled by the love of God. But now, now what he's going to show us is, yes, that this transformation has taken place with ambassadors of Christ. That we look at the world differently. Specifically other people. We don't look at them according to the flesh, but we lean look at the value that Christ has given each individual and we treat them as such. In fact, what we see in our passage, again, look at what it says in verse 16 to 17. It says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, as you're reading verse 16 and 17, we must read it with the pastoral correction that is taking place. Remember, here's this group who is, who is looking at Paul, these false teachers looking at Paul and grading his ability to be an apostle simply based off the flesh. They're looking at him, and because he doesn't fit their kind of standard of what an apostle should be, they're saying he can't be one. Whether it was because of Paul, because he didn't receive any money as he began to preach around those for Corinth, or maybe it was because of Paul. These are the kind of the arguments they threw out. It was because Paul, he, he suffered so much, and therefore how could he be an ambassador of Christ? Wouldn't Christ protect him? Or they were saying that Paul has some nice letters, but when he gets in front of us, He's unimpressive in his image and his talk. Again, all according to the flesh. And what Paul is saying here is, hey, we made the mistake with Christ, didn't we? Paul was a Jew. He's saying if we made the mistake at Christ, we looked at him according to the flesh, and we almost missed the gospel. This is Corinthian church. We should learn from that. So why are you looking at me according to the flesh and telling me that I can't be an apostle as well? Again, again, this was, this was Paul. He was a Pharisee. He's the one who was looking at Jesus in his previous days and saying, how could Jesus be the Son of God when he died upon a tree? According to Deuteronomy, those who were died upon a tree were accursed. So in their minds, they're thinking, why would God make himself accursed? Why would God embrace suffering and shame? Again, all according to the flesh, the gospel didn't make sense to the Pharisees or the Jews or Paul's previous life. And Paul says, this is how we used to look at Christ. We made the mistake. We, we almost missed the gospel because of this. So why, why wouldn't you, Corinthian church, begin to correct yourselves and not look to me according to the flesh? He says, I get it. I'm unimpressive in person. I get it. I am suffered well. But through my weakness, God's power is perfected. I am a true apostle. So again, we must read those verses. Read them in the pastoral correction they're attended. And yet before we're too hard on the Corinthians, how often do we do the same? How often do we look at other people, think they're less impressive just because of their, the way they talk? Pedigree? Maybe they don't have enough degrees for our, our liking, or maybe their rank is lower than us, so we look down upon them as less than? Too, too often we, we make these impressions and we look at other people and, and based off of whether we think they're intelligent or important, that's how we value them. And yet Paul is saying, shouldn't be that way for a Christ follower. Shouldn't be that way. Look, again in verse 17. I, I know we use it in this evangelistic uh, kind, of, kind of way we talk about verse 17, but in context... Understand what it's saying. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul says a new way of looking at people has overtaken us. The old way of evaluating people off of, of, of kind of this outward appearance, off the flesh, that has passed away. And now we begin to evaluate people based on how Christ looks at people. We see that all people are important. We show all people value because Christ showed them value. 
They're made in the Imago Dei. They're made in the image of God. So every single person on this earth has value and is important. And God is trying to reconcile these people to himself. So you see what he's saying in this passage? It's a pastoral correction. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So don't evaluate people off the flesh anymore. We've been transformed. In fact, as I read this passage... My mind's eye is, kind of looks at Jesus' kind of ministry in a different light. Specifically Luke 4. If you're reminded of Luke 4, Jesus is coming out and he's, he's kind of telling people what his ministry is going to be all about. He stands between uh, the, the temple, he grabs his scribe and he begins to read these words. Luke 4, verse 16 to 19, Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And as you're hearing those words, there's kind of two ways we can read it. One sense, we read it in the spiritual, right? He came to, to rescue the, the poor in spirit. He, he came to, to give sight to those who were spiritually blind, who couldn't see the gospel. He came to save the oppressed, those who have been oppressed by sin. So in yes, one sense we read it in the spiritual, but yet in another, we can read it in the physical sense as well. Jesus came to, to allow blind people to see. He allowed the lame to walk. He allowed the oppressed in society and he lifted them up and he set them free. So in one sense, we begin to see the spiritual and the physical are more united than we would like to admit. My point is this. How can we who are spiritually blind look down on people who have deformities thinking they're less than when we're spiritually blind ourselves? We can't. It's hypocritical. How could we look down on, on those who are, who are poor in, in finances and in their, in their poverty when we are poor in spirit? Again, we can't. You see, the, the, the cross... It, it changes our perspective of how we look at other people. At the cross, we're all equal. All sinners in need of a big God to pour out his grace upon us. Can't look at other people the same way after the cross. Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. Jesus is saying ambassadors, they, they change the way they look at other people. We begin to look at people as valued, important, and most definitely loved by God. So he's beginning to laying out this ambassadorship, what it looks like. He says, what propels us? It's the love of Christ. Yes, it's a little bit harder than what we like. It changes the way we look at other people. We don't look at them according to the flesh anymore. And we see their value. But next, he begins to give us the message of an ambassador. What is the message? It really is the message of reconciliation. Verse 18, he explains it to us. Verse 18 to 19, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting us, entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. You see how he begins to explain the gospel? He says the gospel is a message of reconciliation. It's the message of God looking down at people who have fallen short of his standard, 
saying, I, I want to, to be reconciled back to them. And the way that you're going to get reconciled back to them is through Jesus Christ. And yet you look at that passage, he says, he's entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Think about that, friends. God has a message for your friends. He has a message for your coworkers. Then he has a message for your, for your family members. He has a message for your neighbors and those of the world. And how does he communicate that message to them? Through us. Through us. This big almighty king of kings has a message for the world and he has given that message to us so that we could proclaim it. The message of reconciliation is our message to proclaim to all people. A message of, again, of great big God loving his people so much that he would give his only son on their behalf. That he wouldn't count, God wouldn't count their unrighteousness against them, their sin against them, but he would forgive them completely through the blood of Jesus Christ and be reconciled back to, to their holy God. That's the message. Which again gives new meaning to this idea of having this, this treasure in jars of clay. The, the, the hope of the world has been entrusted us to, to share it with other people. Catch the words in verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. An ambassador, one who has been sent by God to proclaim the gospel, the good news to the world. Again, there's this, this breathtaking kind of thought about that, that God would entrust us with, this, with the message of, of salvation. But yet, in another sense, this is an overwhelming thought. He's entrusted us to transform people's eternity. And yet, in some ways, I, I take great pleasure in, as, as I read those words. Because notice the simple form, the simple way that Paul describes this message. He describes it in this simple kind of way of just saying, it is a message of reconciliation. Which means it makes it very simple. It, it's not as hard as we would like to make it out to, to be ambassadors for Christ. Can we go up to people and say, yes... God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be reconciled to you. That's, that's the first half of the gospel. Can, can we do that? V very simple. What's the second? That reconciliation takes place through Jesus Christ. That the only way I found salvation is through the blood of Christ. That as our passage says, that Jesus is the one who died on their behalf so that God would not count their trespasses against them. That that's the gospel, friends. According to this passage, it's that, it's that simple. So can I be entrusted with this message? Absolutely. Do, do I need to know a whole bunch of facts? It's that simple. It's a message of reconciliation that this God, this almighty God, because we have sinned, there, there's been this separation between us, but yet he is gracious enough for us to be back in relationship with him. And the way that we get to be back in relationship with this holy God is through the grace of Jesus Christ, his blood, by trusting in the sacrifice that he paid on our behalf. 
asking for forgiveness of sin and trusting our faith in Jesus, that he's the one who paid it all on our behalf, that's how salvation takes place. So Paul says, yes, this message of being an ambassador, yes, it's hard. You take the shrapnel as you become the bridge between God and his people. And yes, there, there's the good part that we, it transform us to look at different people. And yes, the message is a message of reconciliation. But now he turns to his church and he says, this is the time for you to you embrace that, that message yourself. Look at what he says at the couple last verses, verse 18 and on. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For for our sake, he made him to be sin who, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Verse 2, chapter 6, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is that favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, those verses are very similar to what we found in the book of Hebrews. He, there's this perseverance of the saints. He's calling these people, don't turn away from Jesus. Don't, don't, don't neglect the gospel because of these false teachers coming in. What Paul is scared of, if they neglect him as an apostle, they will neglect his message and they will be down this barren road that leads to nowhere. So therefore, you, you hear his, his longing for his church. You, you hear him. He, we say, we, we, we implore you, church. We, we beg you. Don't receive God's grace in vain. The word vain there really means it was used of an empty building, used of an empty jug. It, it was used of somebody who comes empty-handed before their almighty God and has nothing. And therefore, their judgment is only was what to come. So he turns to this church, and he begins to quote the words from Isaiah 49 to them. Words of Isaiah 49 are important. You understand Isaiah, he's beginning to kind of lead up to the suffering servant, which again is they needed to embrace about their Savior because Paul is following suit in his suffering. They couldn't understand why Paul would suffer. So he turns them to this passage and say, hey, your Lord and Savior suffered. His servants are going to suffer as well. But more importantly, Isaiah 49 points to an all-covenant God who looks down on his people who are walking away and says, I want to be reconciled to them. I will pursue them. And maybe you need to hear those words this morning. That today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've drifted from your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you knew, just like this Corinthian church, you heard the gospel when you grew up and you heard the good news. And yes, you were walking with the time, but for some reason in your life... Maybe it was another person that came between you and the gospel message. Maybe you looked at them and you said, man, I can't accept this message anymore. Paul says, I implore you. Man, I, I, I beg you. Don't miss God's grace. Don't take it in vain because when it comes to judgment, without the gospel, you're left empty handed and judgment is all there is to come. 
But the great news is we have a Savior who came to stand in our place. So when judgment comes, God doesn't look at us and our sin, our, our unrighteousness, but he looks at the, the, the imputed righteousness of Jesus who has been given to us through faith in Jesus. He says if you simply just turn and ask for forgiveness again, a great big God will forgive you. Because his grace is big. Today is the day of salvation. God, we're thankful for your word. To think that you have entrusted us with, with the gospel message, it's a weighty thought. To think that you have a message for the world, you have a message for our coworkers and our family and our friends, and, and you have entrusted this message to us to proclaim it to them. God, that's a weighty thought, but yet we understand that you are with us as we do it. We understand that you're the one who transforms hardened hearts. And all we have to do is proclaim what you've told us to do. We're simply ambassadors, the one who stand in the middle. God, give us the courage this week to proclaim your goodness to those around us. God, give us the, the ability to look at people differently, not by the flesh, but let us see the value and the importance that, that, that you have given them so that we can treat them like you do. And God, I pray for those who are weary in being ambassadors, those who have been stepped on by those in the church or those on the outside, give them courage to continue on. Holy Spirit, fill them, empower them, give them just your favor so that they would feel for refreshed, that they would be able to go out and proclaim your good news again. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.